our New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. So, uh, Zach, I mean, uh, I think let's let's get like the really crappy news out of the way. The Knicks didn't get the number one pick. It's it's rigged. I hate I hate New Orleans. Uh, oh, I've actually on, been a great, a great drink city, if nothing else. No, I mean it's a good drink city, but that's about it. I've uh, I've actually I've been reading a bunch of you know like. Nick's sort of like conspiracy theory <laughs> articles that basically uh-huh, say uh-huh. that, you know, he really wanted to uh, go very badly to the Knicks, um, Zion. And so basically now people think that he might threaten to go back to school because he hasn't hired an agent. And he doesn't have a shoe deal yet. So uh-huh. therefore, like he could like force the trade, you know, he could force uh-huh. to be drafted by the Knicks just like uh, Eli did. It's not going to happen. I know, man. I'm just hopeful. I'm just hopeful. <laughs> Yeah, you also, well, also, you know, there's one thing to talk to you about because we're because this is a podcast about drinking and not about basketball. No, man, but come on, this is interesting. Uh, uh, to differ. No, so I have a question for you. Okay, do you watch Game of Thrones? No. <sighs> Sorry, I did. So we can't, we can't even it, talk about how bad this season has been. No. I gave it I gave it like three seasons. I read I read all the books when they were coming out and I gave the show I would about three seasons. That. Yeah. So you <laughs> liked the books or you didn't like the books? Uh you know, so here okay. I just I like you're kind of a nerd, so like that's, you probably read the books. I mean that's not not inaccurate. I'm not generally I'm more of a science fiction kind of person than a fantasy, but um but no, I, I so here's my take. So um I enjoyed the books part of the way through and to me i think you get to this problem that that is to me apparent in both the uh books and in the show and in slightly different ways which is you get to a point in the story where you can do one of two things if you're the the person creating the the story you can either start moving towards resolution or you can blow everything the fuck up and both george R. R. martin and the the showrunners for the tv show maybe collaboratively or separately decided we're going to blow this thing wide open and the problem for me then, is like, then you lose then you lose a lot of to me the 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 interest where the show the book and the show start out with you know a few main character or character groups and a few main plot points and all of a sudden you have new continents and new uh families and dynasties and all this shit that i just don't really it's hard to stay invested in you know, a dozen different subplots for anyone. I don't think, it, I mean, yeah. even people I think who are really into the show from, from the friends of mine and whatnot who are really into it, you know, I think that is a, a recurring complaint, which is like, there, there's just too much happening. And while it might be dramatic in certain ways, I think they really, you kind of lose the, the, the drive of the show when everything is, a, when suddenly you can only spend five minutes an episode with the characters you really like and you spend 40 minutes or whatever with a bunch of kind of forgettable people who suddenly pop up in season five or book six or whatever and you're like oh now you're also important like i i, I think you know it's it's one of the things that to me is a hallmark of a really uh well done fiction is that it is tight it's cohesive i mean writing in general podcasts maybe you could argue are better when you get to the point you you say you tell the story you want to tell you make the point you want to make and you get out as opposed to just let's see how much how much bigger we can make this and hey i get it there's a lot of money at stake especially for hbo and so i get the impulse to like blow it the blow it wide open but like i just to me more is not better in a lot of these contexts i'd rather enjoy it get the story told 
you know, have it be as exactly as long as it needs to be to, to get to the point and continue. But I'm sorry that the last season has been disappointing for you. I just, disappointing, I got out but you know, like, more people have gotten into, to wine because of it, which is good. Cause the characters drink a yeah, lot this of wine. Is, Can you explain this to me? Like in a, in a very brief way. Cause I keep seeing these, like, you know, this stuff on the internet and I'm like, I don't really care. So I don't look I mean, investigate, but look, it's, it, it goes back to this, uh, this belief we have, uh, and probably much of it was true that in, you know, medieval times, uh, and, and even prior, you know, it was cleaner to drink beer or a spirit or wine than to drink the water. So mm-hmm. in the in the show, they drink lots and lots and lots and lots of wine. And uh, they, you know, the, the most prized wine is Dornish Red, which no one knows what it is. But of course, like we've written articles about what could it be. Other people have as well. Um, and so they drink a lot of it. And so I think it's it's people who like to drink lots of wine. Like, oh, see, they're just, you know, they're encouraging that I can also drink more wine. <laughs> um so it's been like this meme that's come out of the show, which is really great. But, um, you know, besides that, yeah, I think the show's – I agree with you in, in a lot of respects. I think he created more of a world than, you know, a truly cohesive story. But the world's what's going to make them all the money, right? There's all these other offshoots that are coming out of this show. So this would be crazy. But anyways, sure. and- enough about Game of Thrones. Let's, let's get to what we're actually here for, <laughs> which is to talk all things uh, delicious liquid. And um, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm really excited because we're going to talk about – a spirit and then a place that I've gotten really excited about. So over the past five years, um, thanks to one of my close friends, Lena, my wife and I have gotten the opportunity a few times to travel to Greece. And I think that right now the, the cocktail movement and the spirits movement happening in Greece and the wine movement actually is pretty much more exciting than almost anywhere else in the world. Um, I think that there's a really young, you know, a cool young generation of people like us who are coming in and creating amazing products, whether they're taking over family wineries or whether they're making really, you know, unique spirits. And then they're also making, you know, creating incredible bars and restaurants and stuff like that. So we're really lucky that Nicholas, the owner and creator of uh, Finest Roots, an incredible line of the cores is with us in the uh, studio today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to be here. And uh, actually, I'm also a fan of Game of Thrones. So, but I, I, I still have to watch the new episode. I haven't seen it. And, uh, <laughs> oh, it's okay. That's why I have to watch it because everybody keeps on talking about yeah. something. So, yeah. So, I, you know, Zach, what I thought we would talk to Nicholas about is both the creation of this spirit because these spirits are really unique. And also, I'd really love to understand from you because I think a lot of us, all we read is what's on the news, right? So we, we understand that Greece went through a crisis, that there have been some economic hardships. But out of these hardships, it feels like to me, some amazing things have come. Right. There's there's more creativity, I feel like, in Greece than happening in a lot of other countries right now. So I want to understand why that is, what it sort of feels like to be in Greece right now. Um, but before we, we jump into that, I'd love for you to talk to us about Finest Roots because you make four specific liqueurs, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are they? So, uh, yeah. So Roots is actually a range of four craft liqueurs from uh, from Greece. So the name roots means that uh, it has a dual meaning. So first of all, it means that all each liqueur has a liqueur. Actually, liqueur is you know. liqueur. So yeah. So each liqueur has its own story and its own uh, heritage back in Greece. So we use uh, old recipes that, in a way, we reinvented them, and we want to present them to the global market as premium uh, craft liqueurs with true heritage from uh, Greece and really unique ingredients in the story. And the second part of uh, the roots, meaning is our own roots, so my brothers and uh, mine. Uh, we have roots in uh, family roots in the oldest distillery in Greece, where we started our, produ- our production there. So it's since 1850. And, uh, since 1850? 1850, yeah. Wow. Okay. Since, so we had nothing to do with it 
we were doing had different careers. We were living abroad. I was in Italy. My brother was in Germany, etc. So we went back when everybody else was leaving. So around 2013, we started the the brand, and uh, yeah. So that was the, the, the dual meaning of, of roots. So the, the recipes and our own roots. So we didn't take over the distillery or anything like that. So we just produced there, and uh, we like to, uh, you know, that's where we drive our inspiration from. So from the roots of the Greek heritage and our own family roots. And so you so you make four liqueurs, right? Um, but I think probably the one that you're most well known for, can I, if, if this is fair to say, is the Masticha, yes? Or is that the one that I just think you're the most well known yeah, so for? It's, it's, it's the Masticha or Mastic in English. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, Masticha or, or Mastic is actually a Mastic tree. It's a really special tree that is growing on only on one island in, in Greece called Chios or Chios or Chios. I don't know how. In, in Greek, it's Chios. So uh, this uh, island is on the northeast Aegean, really close to the coast of Turkey. And it's really special because on, only on one part of the island, there is a, a small, uh, let's say, area where this tree is growing. Well, actually, the tree is growing all over the Mediterranean, but it's only producing a resin there. So this resin is called mastic resin. And uh, there's a cooperative, cooperative of villages that they are the growers, the growers association. So they have been cultivating and growing for thousands of years. So it was the, since it's in Greece, it was the first ever chewing gum. So you can actually take the resin, you can eat it, chew it, it becomes soft, has this really special taste, flavor. It's really piney, really fresh. So even the word masticate, the English word, it comes from, from mastic or masticha. So it was the first ever chewing gum, and for thousands of years it has been used as a delicacy or seasoning food for uh, digestion, for cleansing the mouth. It's even used in uh, some medicines or for you know creams for the skin, etc. So it's a really special uh, ingredient. And in Greece, it's a really common liqueur so it's not only roots so there are many brands of uh, of uh, masticha or mastic in, in greece roots is the craft premium uh, version and uh, i was gonna say yours is the only one that i really like <laughs> okay <laughs> thanks <laughs> can you can you elaborate a little bit more on the on the flavor there because this is a this is a spirit that i'm not particularly familiar with and i know you mentioned it's a it's obviously a, a tree resin and, and has some sort of pine notes but is there anything else going on in there flavor wise for people who are who are interested in this who want to kind of understand what it's maybe vaguely similar to so actually it's not really similar to something else so it's a sort of a combination of a Pine, piney, you know, the piney flavor, a bit woody, a bit earthy, but at the same time, it's slightly sour, sweet, and fresh. Yeah, I would say so. I think you would like roots, Zach, if you like amaro. So mm -hmm. there's a, there's there's a a flavor to the mastiha that is amaro esque, and what I find it to be really delicious in is it's just you serve it over ice with a slice of orange, like an orange peel. Mm -hmm. And it's very refreshing, but it also seems to aid in digestion. It feels like drinking it, you know, is is going to do those same things as Amaro, but it's just just the resin as opposed to a mix of a thousand herbs, you know, that a lot of these Italian villages are creating to create these Amaros. But I, I would say it's it's similar. It also to me tastes cleaner than Amaro. Um, so it has like a there is a there's a sweet because I think by saying piney some people might be turned off. Oh, is that like grezina? But it's not. It's not. There's not like a. It's not a pine saw flavor. It's like a fresh wood ish flavor. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Um, yeah. That also has like some honey notes to it. Um, uh, it's hard to explain. These are yeah. These are some also some other uh, versions of roots. So we have a honey one and also 
typical Amaro. But as far as the Mastic is concerned, uh, it's a really classic, uh, let's say, digestive in Greece. So if uh, one has been to Greece, uh, the odds are that uh, at some point at some restaurant after a meal, they he was they were served a, a, a cold shot of uh, Mastic uh, liqueur. So it's really good and really fresh to drink cold in the summer as a shot or mixed in a long drink with gin, you know, lemon, soda, tonic. Really, ah, so I don't actually smell. Yes, it. I'm smelling it. So it's it smells like fresh wood, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, but like that yeah. that that aroma of like fresh cut wood or young, like you know, if, when the when the tree has a new branch, if you were like if you were to break that branch and smell the inside of the branch, that's sort of what it smells like. And then the taste is a little sweet, earthy, herbal. Um, it's it's really delicious. I love this description with the branch. Can, yeah. I, can I take it? Take it, you, please. You, yeah. you don't need any copyright. No, you can take okay. it. <laughs> Thank you. So, okay. So you started making was, – was was the Mastic the first liqueur that you made? No, no. We made all four at the same time. At the time. same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was the – why did you – I mean, so first of all, you're crazy. Why would you – if you're going to enter a market and make, you know, okay, yeah. craft spirits distillers make yeah. one thing you're making sure. four. So everybody has been saying that to us from the first moment. So – First of all, we made four because we had no idea, <laughs> so we didn't think about that before because we were not we were actually not involved in the wine or spirits business before. So we thought uh, we lack those four flavors, so we're gonna make four. So ever since, everybody's telling us why four. You know, you should focus on one, or you, what is the hero product, or what is the, you know, it's crazy to go with four things no one understands. You know, just go with one and then maybe follow with the others. But no, so our our vision from the beginning is that. Uh, roots is range of four craft liqueurs. So we believe that actually we see some other brands coming up now with really limited ranges of liqueurs. So I think to my in my in my point of view, so people think uh, when they think liqueurs, they either think these really wide ranges of mixers, you know, like mixing liqueurs, you know, like 20, 25 flavors they have, the Amaretto, Limoncello, I don't know, name like, it. Everything. Or anything that bowls, all those yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Or they think of a single brand like uh, Saint Germain or, um, I don't know, uh, you know, again, Disaron or something like that. Yep. So now you get some new craft liqueurs that come out as a, with two or three or four expressions. So it's like a limited, let's say, a family. We like to call it as a family of, uh, of liqueurs where uh, you find flavors that are not found in a, any other range. And they're craft. Of course, the price point is different. So it's not this liqueur you would have to mix in your bar, in your uh, pouring, uh, let's say, I don't know, margaritas or something like that. But it's a craft premium liqueur that you can make really interesting things with. And uh, also that's a strange thing, about, strange thing about our market, that it's easier for us to market roots in the really high-end cocktail bars, uh, whereas other brands try, uh, and we cannot sell to mainstream accounts, whereas other brands, they sell to mainstream accounts and try to enter the high-end bars. So we have, we have the opposite you know, well, there was a problem. Well, so this is actually the perfect segue. So we're talking about high-end bars. So one of the one of the things I think that's been most interesting to me is what's happening in Athens right now. So you live in Athens, yes? Yeah, I'm based in Athens. So Athens over the past, what, five years, or would you say even longer, has become a very vibrant city with lots of amazing cocktail bars. Can you give us an idea of what is happening right now? In, what, what makes Athens probably one of the most exciting places to get cocktails in Europe right now. So it's, uh, you're, you're right. So it has peaked the last five years, but it didn't happen in an overnight. So there were already bars before that had, uh, uh, you know, been a bit pioneered in the Athens uh, bar scene. 
so you actually you were there last summer. You know, were enjoying some drinks in a really nice uh, rooftop bar. Yeah, some nice cocktails. So what happened uh, with the crisis back in uh, 2008? There was a bit of a shift to the way uh, people were going out. So uh, before it used to be bigger clubs, you know, beach bars, uh, you know, going with the vodka bottles, uh, things like that. So people immediately started uh, going more premium and uh, drinking less and drinking better. So the last thing Greek people in, people in Athens uh, uh, wanted to stop with the crisis was going out. So Really? Yeah. I mean, people still go out, still go for their coffee, but maybe they don't drink as much or they don't uh, you know, eat as much out, but they would still go out. So it's part of the culture, going out, drinking, socializing, things like that. So what happened, there was a, a very dynamic uh, bar scene uh, coming uh, out around uh, you know, the late uh, uh, 2010, 2008, mm-hmm. 2009, 2010. There were some pioneer bars like uh, Baba Ram uh, or uh, the Gin Joint, uh, which immediately, they were actually, they were the first bars in Greece were focused on rum or gin. You know, really? So, okay. so before that, there was never anything like... No, like there was that. never anything like focusing on a single spirit. Uh, no bars fo- focusing on a single spirit. And uh, actually, what's, in, what's really impressive about Athens now is uh, there are two bars in the world's top 50 bars. For the last three years, they're always there. So it's the Clumsies in Athens, which is number six. In the world? In the world, yeah. And it was number nine the year before, I think. Yeah, And they opened probably four years ago or three years ago. It just shot up, yeah. It just shot up. And Baba Ram. Baba Ram has been also steadily in the world's uh, top 50 bars. So it's impressive for a country in crisis. Uh, sorry, I forgot to mention, there are several other bars that are also in the top European list and things like that. And uh, the most impressive thing is that 90% of those places are walking distance one from another. So you can go out in a bar in, 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 in a night in Athens and just by walking around, you could visit like five or six or seven of those top cocktail bars in, in one night and you can drink quite uh, decent pricing, you know, really exclusive and really interesting flavors and cocktails. Interesting. This is a really interesting point because I think, you know, my experience, I was in Athens uh, a couple of years ago myself. And one of the things that I noticed even being there in uh, November was how easy it was and how delightful it was to go out and sort of walk around the city at night, um, especially the sort of older part, which is pretty compact, as you mentioned. And obviously, you know, you have generally speaking, pretty good weather, if not, you know, really, really hot weather, which does tend to make it, you know, an easy place to go from bar to bar. And, and I wonder just how much of that sort of culture is, is you know, in some way tied to the fact that you can be out on a rooftop at night most of the year, you can walk from bar to bar, you know, there's lots of places in in the world that might want to have a similar cocktail culture, but it's just miserable half the year to to go from bar to bar. So you go one place and you hang out. I don't know. I mean, does that play into it at all? Absolutely. That plays a lot into it. So, you know, most of the time in Athens, the weather is fine. So you can just walk around, you can stay out. I mean, basically, seven, eight months a year, you can you can do that. And um, also another thing that's impressive for people who visit is the hospitality of those bars, of those places. So uh, there is no way you're going to go to any bar, have a couple of drinks, and they're not going to give you something uh, like as a shot or they're going to buy you the third drink or things like that. So it's the opposite of the culture in, in the U.S. So people here, people tip the bartender. In, in, in Greece, bartenders are actually tipping the customers in a way. So they're giving away shots to give you things to try, even if they, do, even if they just see you for the first time. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just the way it is, you know. It's it's also if you go to eat out, you know, they're always going to offer you something in the end. It's, it's going to be a digestive show. It's going to be like a sweet, but they're going to give you something, and they don't expect they don't expect 
something in return. So it's not for getting a tip or it's just because they, especially if they see someone who's from abroad, they want to make them feel welcome and uh, have a nice time. So that's really unique. So everybody who's going to Athens uh, really feel like that, really feel welcome. And then, you know, the rules are a bit relative. So there is no strict closing time. People can smoke inside or, you know, so it's kind of, you know, there you are, there, yeah, in Greece, you know, there are rules, but uh, probably mostly in writing and <laughs> you call these, them yeah, guidelines. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's they're, they're guidelines. You can follow them or you can't, you know, some, so it's a really exciting place for that. And actually, what's uh, if if I can continue, it's really really exciting time to visit, except for the summer, is the Athens uh, Bar Soap. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about that. So, you know, I think some people who listen to the podcast may be aware of things like Tales of the Cocktail that happened in the United States or Bar Convent Brooklyn, which is also Bar Convent Berlin. But Athens has started a conference called Athens Bar Week. That's become super popular among bar show. Sorry, that's become super popular among industry, not only in Greece but all over Europe and all over the world. So, so can you explain a little bit about what that is and what happened? So, I think the Athens Bar Show started in 2012 or 11. I don't remember exactly, but around the time. So, it was a small show. It was one of the first bar shows in Europe after BCB. But now, I think it has risen to be probably the second biggest after the BCB in Berlin. And I think by far the most fun one. So <laughs> everyone just loves coming over there because it's it's November, but it's still outside. It's sunny. It's in a very nice venue where you can move from uh, room to room and you go outside, you stay outside. There are bars outside. And uh, that's one important factor. And the second factor is that at night, there are all those parties on those bars in the city center. So you can just walk around every party. So it's not like in you know, other bar shows where, uh, you know, if you go to the place... Uh, at an event or, you know, at a brand event, then then the other place would be half an hour away or one hour away. And then you would say, no, let's, let's stick to one. In Athens, you can just, in, in one night, go to all the parties, visit all the bars. That's a really cool thing. And actually, we're also bringing a, a lot of guests uh, every year at the Athens bar. So, so actually, last September, we had a cocktail competition in New York. And the winner uh, went to Athens bar in November. And actually, right now, we're doing our European competition. So it's uh, uh, Italy, France, and the UK. And uh, cool. the, the three winners are going to come in uh, Athens, Barcelona, in November. And so what's what's the thing behind the competition? So do they just they have to make cocktails with your spirits? Yeah, they have to make cocktails with roots. And uh, they have to be long drinks. So they're liqueurs, low ABV long drinks. And, uh, of course, um, because uh, roots has a unique story, so we always ask, as a requirement, the bartenders to be engaged with that and they have to tell their own story behind their cocktail. So they have in a way to try to explain their own roots uh, and how that is um, how that can be linked to the to the roots to roots liqueurs and uh, heritage that they have from their own country and with the heritage that we have from Greece. So it's actually a nice setting and it works out very well. So people are saying a lot of stories and they present the cocktails that combine different you know, ingredients from different parts of the world. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Nicholas, I'm wondering, has the, has the sort of broader um, hospitality scene in Athens in particular, and maybe Greece generally also sort of evolved along with this move towards, you know, sort of more premium stuff? Because, you know, I was, I was surprised when I was in Athens, uh, as I mentioned a couple of years ago, uh, how many um, really pretty fine dining, but not, um, 
but very kind of modern seeming restaurants there were. And, you know, we, my wife and I dined at a couple of them. We also dined at some, you know, less sort of more kind of traditional places. But, you know, is there more of a culture of that um, evolving as well? You know, it, it seems like that might go hand in hand with this sort of craft cocktail um, trend as well. Absolutely, absolutely. You have all those uh, new uh, restaurants popping up uh, with interesting food, fusion cuisine. Uh, they mix Greek uh, cuisine with uh, you know other other cuisines. Um, very interesting chefs, uh, you know, cool places, uh, nice design. So you, you get these places coming up uh, all the time. And what's also impressive is that even in you can go to like a small town in Greece, and there's always going to be a few high end craft cocktail bars, even in like a, you know. I don't know, the 10th or the 15th largest city in Greece, you would find some craft spirits from the U.S. or some craft spirits from all over the world. And you'd be like, wow, this is crazy. You know? why, why do you think that is? Because, I mean, how, how did that happen so fast? That diffused from Athens. So they saw uh, what happened in Athens, what happened in the city center. So people started realizing, okay, now you can find such high-quality drinks there, so we have to do something like that. We cannot serve anymore. You know, we, we cannot have any more bad eyes or, uh, you know, like mainstream jeans, things like that, because people we are going to see from Athens what's happening. So if they come back here and we serve them like a really mainstream jean with a bad tonic and an ice that's melting, they're going to say, I don't like, I, I don't want to drink that. Is that because everyone in Greece at some point goes through Athens? Is, is like Athens sort of this city that's, uh, you know, a crossway point where everyone will ultimately during the yeah. year go and hang out and have, yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So I'm we don't just, have to see, cause it's like, yeah. come on, Zach, like, Everyone should go through New York, but you're stuck in Seattle. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. I spent too much to time at JFK to, to want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> That's super out, interesting. Please. Yeah, Zach would love to have you. He'll host you. Yeah. <laughs> Gladly. I would also say, you know, as with uh, as what uh, with Nicholas was saying, you know, there, there's something about, too, you know, having traveled, out, I think, as you have too, Adam, you know, not just to Athens and Greece, but to points beyond, whether it's to some of the, you know, one of the many islands or, or even just, um, you know, on the peninsula in some way or another you do really get that sense that for one, you know, kind of if you're coming from outside of the country, you almost certainly came through Athens, at least initially. And also that, but that people when they travel, even if it's, I think, from within Europe, and certainly if you come from further away, you almost certainly don't just go to Athens. I mean, maybe you do. But a lot of people want to get out on the islands, or they want to get, you know, into the mountains or something like that. And so you you do have that drive, you know, to have the same or at least a similar level of kind of hospitality and quality of, of food and beverage experience kind of wherever you go. And that does, you know, I was, we were on Crete and Heraklion or just outside of Heraklion and we had some excellent food and drink there too. Um, so not just in the biggest city, do you find um, really, really well uh, sort of presented and, and uh, prepared food and drink? That's actually, that actually makes a very interesting case study, I think, because as you said, most of the people would go through Athens, but usually they would stay for one day or maybe two just to see the Acropolis, a couple of museums, and then just go and go to the islands. But it's how the, a city's culinary and bar scene is transforming the way people see a city. So actually now even more and more people stay longer in Athens or they just go to Athens uh, outside the summer time just because they know it's a cool city with cool bars and interesting food and uh, of course all the you know of course the the ultra rich history and heritage but i'm saying that's everyone knows about that so but more people are not get to know about why they should stay in Athens and try see the bars and see the try the food and everything so yeah i think i think actually the clubs guys have also won some kind of tourism awards because they you know they they changed the way Athens is viewed by as a bar city yeah 
So with also with all the low cost airlines in Europe and Airbnb and all that, you know, a lot of it's very easy to travel, especially within Europe, just to go to Athens for a weekend. You don't have to spend much money to fly there. You don't have to spend much money to stay there. You don't have to spend much money to eat and drink. So it's it's becoming. Some people say it's like the new Berlin. You know, that's what I've heard by a lot of yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like the place that everyone now wants to go because there's like this energy. Which is, was sort of my last question, which is you chose to come back, right? So you were in Italy. Your brother was in Germany, you said. Why did you choose to come back? And why do you think a lot of people who are our generation, especially during the crisis, chose to come back and start businesses? So, yeah, I was in Italy away for seven years. But uh, uh, when I left Greece, I wanted to leave Greece. When I went back, I wanted to go back. So um, I don't know. Sometimes it's a question that troubles me as well, but, um, you know, it's a special place. So we're also tied to our roots. So that's why we named it Roots. So we wanted to, to do something in Greece and we want to do something for Greece, uh, but also we want to do something that we like and that we like our life and the place we stay. So I think that's the main reason. So we didn't think about the money that we were going to earn because, you know, when you have a startup, that's... That's, <laughs> that doesn't always uh, doesn't work out in the beginning. So, yeah, we just thought about what we want to do and uh, want to be satisfied with what we're doing. And we want to, you know, present something from our roots outside uh, Greece. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Nicholas, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. This was super interesting to learn about both the brand. So where, quickly, if for the listeners in the U.S., where can they find the brand? Okay, so they can find the brand in some uh, liquor stores or online so if they go on our website, financeroots.com, actually, I need to change that and put a buy now button. So it's a bit complicated. They'll have to go to about, and then when they go to about, they will see where they can buy online, uh, basically, roots. Or they can try the high-end cocktail bar of, uh, you know, of their city. So New York, mainly Boston, D.C. now, some other places as well. So... Awesome. So thank, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. And uh, everyone else, thank you so much for listening. And Zach, I will talk to you again next week. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to VinePair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast at VinePair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you'd rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is recorded in New York City at VinePair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patry, and the show is produced by Zach Joal and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Grinberg. Special thanks as well to the entire VinePair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.